What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Latinelli, the podcast that is untamed, uncensored, and always unapologetic. In today's episode, we have Andrea Rodriguez, and she is a licensed mental health therapist. She's a Latina, wife, daughter, sister, business owner, and entrepreneur. She specializes in treatment with focus on PTSD, trauma, intergenerational trauma, and depression. And we talk about so many incredible things in this episode, including a little bit of trauma of my own. And she has helped me so much. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. Hi, honey. How are you? I'm good. How you doing? I'm good. How's everything going? I know it's been a while since we talked last, like, what, a little over a month? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Yeah, everything's been good. I didn't swell up too bad for my mouth, but I just wanted to make sure that I didn't look crazy. No, no, of course. I remember I got all four of mine taken out at the same time, so I was in pretty bad shape for, <laughs> for a, minute. a while. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, so that's totally fine. Um, so I'm really excited to talk to you today. First, I just want to thank you for coming on. Um, oh, yeah, so I'm really excited. So I follow you on Instagram. How's your puppy? How's everything good. going? Good. <laughs> he's doing good. He looks, he's getting bigger. He's sleeping through the night, not peeing everywhere. So that's good. Yeah. I love puppies, but that puppy stage of like not being able to control their bladder is just like, because we have, yeah. Cause our dog, she's, she just turned five. And I remember Oh my God. It was honestly like the worst. And she would just like tear into everything and she was chewing up my door frames and it was just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so now that she's five, I'm like, thank God. Yes. Yeah. I'm waiting for her to, for him to turn like six months, get spayed, I mean, to get neutered. Yeah. You know, get to that point. Right. Cause at this point we can only leave the house for like four hours at a time and then have to come back, you know? Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, we created our dog and I, we were out of the house. Oh God. Cause I commuted into Times Square from upstate New York. So I was out of the house for around 12 hours a day. So poor thing. She would just go crazy in her crate. Mm-hmm. And I got a dog camera, the whole mm-hmm. nine. I felt- you just watch them suffer. Yeah. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. <laughs> But like now she's Miss Independent. She's in the living room. She's like doing her thing. She no longer sleeps with us, thank God, because she was sleeping with us right up until my son was born. Yeah, and then it's too much. Yeah, she slept with us the whole time. And she's like 85 pounds. So she's gigantic in our bed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's like a whole, whole person. Whole, I was just about to say. It's like mm-hmm. a whole other person. And she would have to sleep in the middle. She mm. would sleep on like either side. And oh my goodness. Yeah, I think that's totally <laughs> our fault, but that's okay. That's okay. She's fantastic with my son and it's great. And I love having a dog and no, mm-hmm. it, it's fantastic. But I, while I was on your Instagram, I did see in May that you opened up your own private practice. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, actually I opened it up in December, but I went uh, full time in May. So uh a long time coming right because I got my master's a few years ago I worked at uh like a community-based mental health clinic for a while uh a few years to get my license 
what the point of the license is, is that you get enough experience, you pass like a, a state exam that just says like, now you're competent enough to practice independently. You don't have to be under someone. So once I got my license, I was like, great, it's finally time to start my private practice. And I slowly started weaning myself off my job um, in December. And then when I would get enough patients, I would go part-time at my job. And then I would like decrease my part-time until I was at enough to sustain myself uh, like financially and also feel like secure in my business. So yeah, it took me like six-ish months to go from not having it to having my full private practice, which has been amazing and a blessing, but really humbling. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Because you hear people, they don't, they're not able to open up their private practice (laughs) until like way later on in their career. So the fact that you're able to do this, like, yeah, so young is fan. It's, I mean, it's honestly, it's, it's amazing. Like I, thank you. Yeah. I remember being in college and even my professor at the time, she was, uh, I had taken a, a psychology course and she, she was a therapist and she had just opened up her, mm-hmm. her private practice. And she was like, it's been a long time or whatever. So the fact that you're able to do that now is like, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. A lot of it is like just believing in yourself that you can do it. I think when it comes to the helping professions and also just like women in general, we're kind of told like, or made to feel like what we can provide is not worth paying for or that it's too many steps or that's too daunting and that you can't do things in business but like no you totally can is it scary and that I like cry all the time and you always have that fear of like all of my patients are just going to like tell me they want to work with me tomorrow and then I'm going to be homeless right like (laughs) but like it doesn't happen right like it's fine right it's just believing in yourself enough that you are providing a service or selling a product whatever it is that people want, that people keep coming back for. Yeah. It's all mental. No, yeah, no, it, yeah. it, it totally is. And it is super scary for you to even like take that leap and take that jump. And now you're running your own business and you have your, you know, you have your clients and, you know, you're doing it all by yourself. And like that, even just taking that step to making that decision, some people can't even get there. So you're right. It's all mental. It's all perspective. It's all, it's also like how you talk yourself up to and, and, and just like, you know, cause that self-doubt is really just, it is such a killer. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you can like, you can totally just like eliminate your whole dream with you just yeah. like not feeling confident in yourself or, you know, like that self-sabotaging kind of thing. Like that happens to so many people. So the fact that you are doing this, it is so fire. I think that that's so amazing. Like I said, people don't do this until they're like, <laughs> they're like their fifties. Yeah. yeah. And like, you know what I mean? Like I I've seen so many people, but like, it's just so, it's just fantastic. And the fact that you're a young Latina making like such fantastic moves for your career is just so bomb. So like, how did you even get into the field of trauma, PTSD, like into this, you know, being a therapist in mental health? Like, how did that even happen? So um, I think like most therapists, like going through my own stuff, you know, like my own trauma, my own experiences, and then, you know, going to college and understanding more about it, and then kind of seeing like a vacuum of uh, 
people who look like me or people who have my background, people who even spoke my language, right? Because English is my second language. Me and my family immigrated here from Honduras um, when I was like one, two years old. Uh, but we would go back every summer and just seeing like my my parents struggle with like immigration, with poverty, with like could like food insecurity and uh, housing insecurity and things like that. And being first gen and having all of these these issues that people couldn't really relate. Right. And then um, as a result of my own trauma, going to like my own therapist before I started thinking like I should do this. And just feeling like an intense disconnect, right? And I've grew up in New York City, so I would I've been to um, the therapist that Medicaid gives you, and I've been to Park Avenue, a hundred something dollars a session people, and went to like my own college. Like I dipped in all of the things, and I never got uh, even a Latina or a Black clinician or an Asian clinician. Nothing. It was all just like white men and white women. And just like hearing all the things that they would say to me, just like huge disconnect, right? Like I was telling my Park Avenue shrink um, something about my dad. And it was just a story, nothing crazy. He wasn't being mean to me. He wasn't being abusive. Also, my parents aren't abusive. They're they're awesome. It's like outside things that happen. But, um, and then he was like, oh, your, your father, he's such a chauvinist pig. And I was like, what the fuck? Never went back. Never went back. It was like a mundane story. Like nothing, nothing conflicty. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, this is what people who look like us are hearing from people, mm-hmm. right? Like this like culturally incompetent, not understanding. If anybody ever, you know, yelled at you or screamed at you or didn't gentle parent you, then you're obviously abused and we should call ACS, just like totally jumping the gun. And also like nobody practices in Spanish, you know? So like I'm, I moved up here to like, uh, in like the capital region by Albany, New York. There's like, I, I haven't come across any Spanish speaking therapists. Yeah. yeah. But that's amazing because you know, that language barrier of people that only speak English, you know, when you have a patient who primarily speaks Spanish, there's, you can't really get their whole story because there's, it's not translating properly. And so they're not getting the best treatment from their therapist because the therapist can't actually speak to, you know, I mean, one thing that you have to do is, communicate with your patient and you can't do that because of the language barrier I was literally yeah. just like hearing about this yesterday like as <laughs> I was preparing for the episode I literally just heard it yesterday and I was just like you know I was thinking about it and I was like you know it's really amazing because there is such a gap in this field and not only that but there's such a like you said there's such a disconnect and there's a lot of our people are being done an injustice because they can't do the one thing that they're supposed to do in therapy talk yeah because the therapist can't understand what they're saying so the fact that you're able to provide that is just fantastic because that I mean I was just thinking about I'm like wow so many people can't get the help they need because they can't actually say it yeah yeah and that's so sad to me 
Yeah, and these are our parents, these are our dias, these are our grandmas, just like struggling to talk, right? And I've seen so many times like patients come into my office and then they their face changes. Like when you start talking in Spanish or when you're doing a consultation on the phone to see if like you're a good fit. And then you can hear them like struggling to speak in English. And I'm like, prefiero hablar español. And they're like, oh, sí, sí, sí. Like, oh, just like all the walls kind of come down because they're like, oh, finally. Right. Or even working with children and teenagers, the teenager speaks English, but the parents don't. So it's like we're missing this huge like thing to help the patient because then like children can't don't really have much power over their lives right like you tell your son everything that he needs to do every day right so if there's something you're doing wrong but you're not ever able to understand it then how are you helping him Mm -hmm. he's just going and talking to a stranger and then you go home and then that's it right helpful yeah and when you think about it like that I mean it it it's so I mean I can just imagine like once you start speaking Spanish, like the weight that gets lifted off of their shoulders, because now there's finally someone that they can talk to who's an unbiased, mm-hmm. you know, person who can actually provide not only help, but just like an ear, like even that yeah. simple, you know, even that simple notion of just like, just someone that can listen to them and that can, can understand what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but actually understand uh, some of the things that they go through too, because there's, you know, there's not that culture barrier also when you're talking to your clients, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, there's, there is such a gap. And like I said, learning about this yesterday, I was like, oh my God, like I never, ever thought about that because, you know, even like for myself, I definitely think that I need to go to therapy and I really want to. Mm -hmm but I'm not trying to go to just some white person. I went to therapy one time Mm -hmm. and just like you, he was, this man was crazy. My man, (laughs) like 70 years old, you know, of the Caucasus region. And my man did not understand like what I was trying to say, what I was trying to articulate. Like it just wasn't, wasn't coming across and when I was talking about like one of the things that I have a lot like in my that I want to unpack I guess is a lot of generational trauma that has been passed through me and in talking to this person he had no idea what like it just he had no idea what I was talking about and it was so difficult and I just gave up because it's yeah upstate New York I mean you're further upstate like you're I'm by Albany. Yes. Oh. You're like Hudson Valley-ish, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's no one to talk mm-hmm. to. And it's like, you know, and it's just so difficult. And I just gave up. I yeah, gave up I, I like, get it. I get it. For anybody. And then I, you know, I thought about it again. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I really want to try this again. And I couldn't find anybody. I believe it. I'm yeah. like, nobody would, even a pinch of melanin I was just like what is <laughs> yeah, yeah just anybody right it doesn't even have to be like Latina at this point just anybody yeah. I just yeah. want anybody because mm-hmm. you know black and brown women there there a lot of things are aligned in in mm-hmm. a lot of ways and there aren't 
there aren't many culture barriers as, as, as some people think. And like, I just wanted someone and I, I wanted a woman and I wanted a woman of color and I, nothing. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, there's definitely a vacuum. Right. And just yeah. like, like you're saying also the age difference, right. I had like my old um, esthetician in the city. She's awesome. But she would uh, like, we would talk, she found out I was a therapist and she was like, Oh my God, I tried to get a therapist. This was during the pandemic, uh, like towards the end right? When the numbers were better. Yeah. Talk to her and get my facial done. And she said she went to a, a therapist. I mean, cause she was really sad because she's in a pandemic and she's isolated from her family and it was awful, especially in New York city. And, um, she went to like one of the people who took her insurance and it was an older white woman. My statistician was also a white woman. And she told her like, Oh, what's your daily life like? And she told her that she smoked weed maybe like a few times a week. Mm-hmm. Um, as many millennials do, mm-hmm. right? I equate it to the glass of wine after work girlies, right? Mm-hmm. And she told her she was like a drug addict and that she would not see her until she went to rehab. <laughs> <laughs> oh my and she, God. Exactly. And this poor baby was sobbing, I would be too, right? Like that's how far the disconnect is. It's not even cultural. It's just like completely, you know, but I bet like she knows people who drink wine every day and it's not a problem. Right. Oh my or, God. Or a beer with dinner type of beer. Like so many horror stories. And, you know, we're supposed to, as therapists and even psychologists, psychiatrists continue to take educational classes, like to renew our license. Like you need like a certain amount of credits. I'm blanking on the amount every few years. And it's like, are y'all doing it? It don't sound like it. <laughs> <laughs> they sound like they might be doing more damage than good Mm -hmm. yeah and it took like many months of me talking to my assistant to be like no try again I'm sorry that's awful I like recommended people for her and it was more of a positive experience but yeah like even even white women are having a hard time like finding someone they click with but I would say it's like just keep trying and that there's nothing wrong with you sometimes it's just not a good match yeah Mm mm-hmm yeah, because I mean, you said earlier, I mean, just having a consultation, like, I, I even tried, like, looking through like that virtual therapist thing that I see ads for. Oh, BetterHelp and stuff. Yeah, yeah, something like yeah. that. And I was like, okay, like, let me just, you know, maybe like, I could text someone, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I was just like, but that's not what I want. Yeah. I want to like, sit down I want to speak to someone and, you know, I just think that there's, it's so difficult to find someone that you not only click with, connect with, but someone that understands, like you said, age-wise, you know, like I personally don't smoke weed, but I love wine and I have a glass of wine and like, I know so many people that smoke weed and I'm it's not that I'm against it. I just don't particularly like it, but yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, like for some people that is their way of just like relaxing, decompressing, yeah. like, and there's What's nothing. The wrong with that. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, there are so many, there's a lot of conservative people out there that, you know, you shouldn't even let that get in the way of talking to your patient of just like, they're trying to tell you something, 
Yeah. But your views and you're more like, okay, fine, you're not a good match, but it's like you don't have to like put your idea into it. Yeah. Like it's so bold of them just to say, I'm not gonna see you unless you do 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 then it's just like that's not what I'm here for. Yeah. I'm here because I have a problem with weed. I I'm here because I'm sad and I'm upset. Yeah. And I just want to yeah. And it's so hard. Like I feel so bad. Like that's yeah I felt so bad for her too she was right and she had like no family in the city and she was really isolated and you know um and that isn't to say that like weed can't be a problem and alcohol can't be a problem but if it's like if it's not interfering your life like negatively affecting you at all then like what's the issue right it's a difference between a glass of wine and then half a bottle and then driving right after like yeah that's a problem right but, but yeah, you're totally right. It's about not implementing your personal views because it's not about that. Yeah. It's, it's, people are not here for that. Right. Um, like, should my patients know whether I'm pro or against abortion? No, that has nothing to do with your depression. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah there's, there's a lot of blurred lines when it comes to, I guess, this this whole industry I guess so like what would you say would be like one of the most frustrating things about your job or your industry or like what's something that just like totally just like irritates the shit out of you um insurance I think uh a lot of therapists don't take insurance which I totally get because some insurance companies don't um compensate appropriately right and like we have bills to pay like to pay my mortgage right but um I feel like for me it's unethical to not take insurance so like about a quarter of my patients are out of pocket like private pay and then the rest are with insurance but I only take insurances that will compensate me appropriately right right um I'm not taking everyone under the sun but yeah uh that's the most annoying part where the insurance will tell me and my patient no you don't have a copay And then we like zero dollars, the dream, right? And then we see each other for three months. This just happened to me. And then the insurance is like, actually, you have a $6,000 deductible. And every single appointment was $150. So now this poor person who's like 19 years old, who doesn't have a job, owes thousands of dollars. When if that was the case from the very beginning, she wouldn't have had therapy, right? <laughs> because if you're like 19 and don't have money, how are you going to pay like a buck 50 every month, every week? Uh, right. So then I like had to argue and I was like, this was your mistake. I'm not one, I'm not working for free. And two, my patient can pay this. And then it was a whole back and forth. It took a month. And then they were like, oh yeah, that was our bad, which never happens. That never happens. And then they like forgave it. Oh my God. <laughs> That's yeah, imagine that, imagine that happening to you at 19. You don't have a job. No, because I couldn't even <laughs> I couldn't afford shit at 19. Exactly. Yeah. Listen, exactly. Listen, me at 19, uh-uh. I I would have had a nervous breakdown. Girl, me at 19. <laughs> yeah. I remember I was in college and it was one of like it was one of like the epiphanies in my life. Like what like like you know when you go through like pivotal moments in your life that like a light bulb will go off and you're like okay something has to change here I was about 19 years old and I was broke 
and I wasn't doing good in school. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I went to Dunkin' Donuts. I was on my way to class. And I think it had to do with a lot of like external things. Like I just was a mess. And I remember my, I had, a, I got a cup of coffee and I got like a little breakfast sandwich. That shit came out to like $3 and 89 cents. And my card said declined. And I was like, <laughs> that's the worst. I was like, um, and I'm like searching for like, you know, money. and Invisible money. Right. I was like, is there money? Like, do I have money? She, yeah. was, like, no money. she was like, don't worry about it. I literally went in my car and I almost started crying. Mm. So I can only imagine her at 19 trying to get mentally healthier. And then yes. they're like, oh no, by the way, you owe this much. I would. Like thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars. Yeah. Yeah, she was like full on having panic attacks and I would like have talks to her and I was like, we'll get this sorted out because at the end of the day, like I'll take the L, you know, more than her. Um, So, but thankfully the insurance was nice enough to do that, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, never want to do that. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you went to bat for her and and you were there, many people wouldn't do that. They'd be like, oh, well, you just got to pay for it. Like, how is she gonna pay for it I'm never gonna get the money like that's so mean yeah so mean yeah but a lot of people don't care and a lot of people are really mean yeah (laughs) a lot of people are are fucking mean they're like the worst people ever oh my god that's crazy though I remember when when my my brother was going to therapy my mom definitely I think we did the out of pocket but I think yeah insurance is like a big thing when it comes to looking for looking for therapy and looking for help or psychiatry or whatever you know whatever it is that this person needs and I think that it like you know because only some insurances like offer it and then some people don't have access to it and it's like that's like really sad because mental health is so important and I'm really glad we're in a we're in a stage now or we're in a place in life now where people are taking it a lot more seriously. And when it does come to like breaking generational trauma and things like that, like, you know, I have people in my family who are in their fifties that are still suffering from something that happened when they were like 10. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you think, and when you think about it, let's say that, you know, let's just say it's like a parent or something. And like, as like, you know, when you're a child, you don't, you can kind of sense that something is not right all the time, but you can't fully understand it because that's your mom or that's your dad. And, and, you know, they're always right. Or they, they, you know, they know the right way or whatever. And then when you think about it as an adult, you're like, that actually is a big problem and it kind of trickles into your adulthood too you know and it's just like like even just for myself like I try all the time to you know just be different and not let my childhood or things that happened when I was in my you know childhood or my teenage years or whatever like affect me being a mom and it is so I definitely, I totally need to go to therapy, but it's, it's just like, (laughs) it's just like, you know, I try so hard to like, you know, come to these realizations or to, you know, 
change my behavior and my habits or my perspectives and things like that. Cause I would hate for that to be projected onto my son mm-hmm. or to repeat it, to repeat. Yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> what you said earlier about that, there's people in our families that we know that are like 50 something, but they still are affected by things that happened when they were like 10 years old. That's really true. And when we look at like the, the neuroscience behind it, what we see is that people become like emotionally stunted in, and sometimes we stay stuck in that age. Right. So like, have you ever met like a really immature, like 60 year old who like can't emotionally regulate, can't do anything. Right. Like half of our family. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So um, that's because like something happened to them at that age and they're like mentally stuck and have not progressed past that. Right. So like grown men who like tantrum, like five-year-olds or just like nobody modeled how to handle your feelings. Right. So if we grow up in a household where when someone's mad, they like punch the wall and scream and fight and hit people. Why would they grow up to know how to not do that? It's not an excuse for like terrible behavior, but like who taught you? If no one taught you how to hold a spoon, why would you know how to hold a spoon? Right. It's the same thing. And as parents, when I I don't have a child, uh, but as parents, when we have our children, having children is like really triggering sometimes because we can think back to when we were doing uh, annoying quote unquote behavior and how everyone responded to us. And when we want to do better, we get intensely irritated. I'm sure you like feel it mm-hmm. like, and I don't want to do the same thing but it's like kind of this thing where you're trying to do better for this little person but then no one did better for me what does this mean and we're like in the middle of the market and he's on the floor the endless right wow you know I never thought I have never ever ever thought about it that way ever because you, you, you kind of just and it's like you get to a point in your life where like you kind of feel like that person is just going to be who they are you know like like this person in your family who you know is is you know I I actually do know someone Jesus it's crazy Mm -hmm. it's like I mean it's 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 crazy but um I I do know someone who I look at them and I'm like you know you're in your like late 40s and you genuinely act like you're 16 years old like what are you doing? Yeah. All right. And then you kind of kind of get that feel like, like that mindset, or you kind of, you kind of look at this person in a way where it's like, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you're going to just kind of like, like <clears throat> accept them for who they are. And then just kind of like, like my method for family members that are like this, which are a lot, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of that thing where it's like, I'll accept, I accept you. Like, I can't physically help you. Like, I'm not like, a, I don't, I'm not a professional. I can't help anybody that whatever, but I kind of look at these people in my life and I'm just like, okay, well, I'm going to accept you for who you are. And I'm just going to move differently around you. I'm just going to keep you at a distance. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, sometimes you kind of, certain family members, you can't kind of keep at a distance sometimes, you know, like you're, you're kind of like forced to have them right here all the time. So it's like, for, for those, it's just like that, like for me, it's definitely just about understanding who they are 
you know, setting boundaries, things like that, just to kind of like protect my peace because I can't change this person or, you know, I can't, I can't help this person in any way. And God forbid you tell them that they need fucking therapy. Oh my God. It's yeah. going to be like, for, what? for what? Yeah. It's be a nightmare. And like, because <clears throat> therapy's looked at as so bad or like you have to be crazy to, to want therapy or you have to be like, it's shameful. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. And I don't like that. It's like, you feel like it's like, you have to be mentally unstable to want to have therapy. It's like, no, you don't. Yeah. No, you don't like therapy is a really good thing. And I just hate that. Like people, they're just so like, it honestly, it just, it drives me fucking nuts. Cause that's why I don't want to tell anybody that I want to get therapy. Cause everyone in my family is like, why are you fucking crazy or why? What's wrong with you? Whatever. And it's just like, it's like, no, yeah. sir, I'm just, I'm just want to be a better person. Like I, I just, I don't know. It's just like, it just drives me nuts, but you know, I think it's, it's so important to dissect our trauma and it's so important to like just unpack it or just talk about it but from your perspective why is it because I know I mean it it, it, it's it should be a clear-cut answer but sometimes it's not (laughs) why is it so important and we'll just use us young women why is it so important to tackle our trauma because I know trauma looks very different for a lot of people and there are there are multiple types of trauma but in its simplest essence I guess mm-hmm. why is it necessary to tackle one's trauma because um, if we don't we'll just keep doing it over and over again not just for ourselves but if we like for future generations right so thinking in extremes uh if we have a let's think of like two young women that one grows up in a home where she has two parents it's a stable household there isn't financial insecurity when people argue it's constructive instead of destructive mom and dad are really kind to each other no one's uh there's no infidelity healthy relationship she's more likely to have a healthy relationship because we're starting up here. And if someone else comes and offers them less, the red flags go off. I don't like that. That feels uncomfortable to me. So I'm not going to do that. On the other hand, a young lady who grows up with domestic violence, mom and dad being physical with each other, dad being abusive, cheating, drinking, drug use, blah, 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 blah. She intellectually knows I don't like this. This is painful to be in, obviously but it's normal, it's comfortable, and it can warp our reality. Trauma warps our reality to think that everybody's life is like that. No relationship is healthy. Everybody cheats. Have you ever heard like an old head uh, Latina be like, they're all like this. They all cheat. Mm -hmm. Or, or, Or every man hits you sometimes to like the other extreme, right? Like the older. And it's really sad that they think like that. They legitimately think like that. Um, so then that young lady grows up and then she misses all the red flags that this girl picked up on. Because when we have domestic violence, you don't get punched on the first date because you're not going to go out with them again. They start 
criticizing your outfits who are you talking to I don't like your cousin they always they don't like me they're just trying to separate us Mm. what are you wearing you work too much Mm. let me get your phone who are you texting I don't like you talking to your brother and then suddenly it's a push it's a shove it's a hair pull it's a not and then it escalates so it's not that these people are choosing to have negative traumatic lives it's that it feels normal it feels comfortable and we're missing the red flags if we don't unpack that then we're going to keep missing the red flags Mm. and it doesn't just apply to relationships it applies to work and to friendships to a lot of things wow wow so what would you what would you say because I have seen this I mean it's it's rare but what would you say to someone that grew up in a in a moderately stable home you know let's say things were tight you know Mm -hmm. money wise and stuff and um you know because that could be a big stressor too for parents yeah so you know, this person grows up in a household, two loving parents, they love each other. Um, But, you know, they start to act out from very young. And, and I mean, act out to where now it's like, everyone's having fistfights at home. And it's now where, you know, mom and dad are arguing with the child because the child is just like completely acting out and yes their external environment school who they hang around does definitely play a factor in it but then as this person gets older it's almost like you know when you see people that just can't catch a fucking break because it's just for some reason their life is a constant constant mess yeah so like what would you say to that person that like let's say they try you know but they're always getting like the shit end of the stick but then when you actually look like when you actually like it like when you talk to this person you realize that this person actually has a lot of deep-rooted issues but their whole but they're, they're growing up they inflicted a lot of the of the issues that were going on at at home and and stuff like that and so as they get older you kind of realize that they're a little bit manipulative they're they're kind of a hothead you know they they you know don't make the best decisions they're very like you know someone who is almost like a user kind of so it's like how would you like what about that person because there's a lot of people in my life that are like that too, who, you know, like their, their childhood was pretty okay. Who haven't, told me. Who, who haven't gone through a quote unquote big trauma. Right. But as that, they get older, they, they kind of, they emulate someone who has gone through some trauma like that, but they really haven't. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. what, what would like, what do you say like about someone like that? Cause I know a lot of people like that too. Right. Yeah. That it's not like somebody was like intensely physically abusive or sexual abuse or anything like that. Yeah. I think that people are literally built different and traumas for some people are way more impactful than others Mm -hmm. or like sometimes I talk to patients 
Um, and they're like, I remember when someone said this to me and it taught me never speak about your feelings. You know, something small. It was like mom being busy and being like, leave me alone right now. I don't have time for you. Like rude. I mean, yeah. But we would think that that wouldn't be as impactful as say someone who grew up with like the extreme story that I said with like the domestic violence and stuff. Right. Um, And then they grow up to react similarly, right? People really absorb things in really different ways. People have different levels of resilience. People have different levels of adversity tolerance and stress tolerance. And sometimes when we're also taught to like, like not how to, um, what am I saying? When we're not taught how to emotionally regulate, um, then these people who their lives are always on fire, when we look closely, sometimes we can see that it's because of a series of decisions that they've made. Mm. Like, um, not like purposely lighting their life on fire, but um, I wanted to go to college this year, but I like missed the deadline to register for classes. Mm. And then I had my job, but then I kept showing up late, but it wasn't me. It was a train, even though I wake up late every day. Like there's like little things that we pick up, right? And it's because, like, sometimes we don't have the stress tolerance. Mm. And when people have, like, a, a, a traumatized brain, what we see in their brain is their hippocampus and their, like, uh, different parts of the brain are smaller, bigger. They have issues with, like, memory. Um, and that impacts their ability to function, so it can seem like they keep making these negative choices. Mm. It builds the stress. They don't know how to emotionally tolerate anything. And then it just keeps getting worse, right? And then the small problem of I didn't register for classes turns into now I lost my financial aid and now I can't go. You know, and, and then it, it just yeah. blows up. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That Yeah. I mean, it also kind of brings me to like, how two kids can grow up in the same exact household you know like I use myself and my brother so my brother's four years younger than me and same household same issues same you know and you know we went through a lot of the same things but it's interesting because so I'll use one one particular example so when I was 15 so my brother was 11. So when I was 15, my parents broke up for the first time. And it was a couple months before my sweet 16. Mm-hmm. And um, that day, I don't know what led to it. But all I know is that night, my mother left to go call family or whatever. So she was out like at the gas station smoking a cigarette or something. But my dad was in their room I'm on the floor crying because they broke up yeah and my dad's crying to me telling me that he doesn't love my mother Mm. that my mother's not his soulmate that there's someone out there for him and I'm I'm sitting there and I'm looking at him and I'm digesting everything that he's saying to me I'm quiet and I, I I don't know I mean I'm not sure what the fuck I was supposed to say <laughs> but my mom was gone 
I think she came back like in the middle of the night, like three o'clock in the morning or something like that. And then the next day is when they sat my brother down and told him they were breaking up or they might've done it before she left. I don't know. My memory is fucking terrible, but um, like that day, my parents only said we're separating. Dad is moving downstairs. Mom will stay upstairs. To, to my brother. This is all yeah. they sat him down and they said, Mom and Dad are separating. Dad is going downstairs. Mom is staying in the room, but no one's moving out. We're just set, we're taking a break. Yeah. Of but course. you got the whole breakdown. But I got both breakdown, my mother and my dad. And I <laughs> I saw the fight. I saw, and I told my brother stay in his room, you know, and I was there and I was kind of like a liaison almost between my parents, almost like a mediator too, which was just Mm -hmm. great. But when you ask my brother and I about that day, like that day still impacts my brother. And my brother is under the impression that he dealt with a lot more that day than Mm -hmm. I did. Like mm-hmm. he thought that he was in the room with me. And I was like, no, you weren't like you were in your room playing a video game. Dad, dad did not want to talk to you. Dad did not want to see like, dad did not want you to see him cry or, you know, tell you that he, like you, in his mind, you're 11. You I mean, you are 11. You were 11. Mm-hmm. Not in his mind. You were 11, but in his mind, he, you, you couldn't handle something like that, but I could. So he talked to me about it. And so- so I'll stop you there. Could you, or did you just have to, right? Like we're talking about the two different experiences and trajectories of you and your brother, right? So you're the oldest, you're a girl, you're in a Latina household. You traditionally, and I'm the oldest daughter as well. You do not have the privilege to be a, a little girl. You are an extra parent. You are their therapist you are their friend, you also don't get the privileges of being a friend, because they will also tell you what to do, and you can't do anything about it, right, you get the privileges of nothing, you get the consequences of being adult, and the consequences of being a child, Mm -hmm. so I wonder, did you feel like you had to just sit there, and take the emotional dumping of it, Mm -hmm. right, or yeah take it right or had you been raised this whole point to be able to take it because this probably wasn't the first um breakdown that you heard no I mean this was the first oh and now I remember the day it's strange my memory I'll like I'll like like bury certain pieces so I don't remember shit that happens yeah but then like when I talk about it more I'm like oh that's what happened yeah yeah that my parents had gotten into a terrible fight over one of my boyfriends and it was a terrible day. Oh my God. It was the worst day. It was one of the worst days of my life because that like the day leading up to the night was fucking awful. My boyfriend almost got jumped by all of my friends. It was just a nightmare. And at 15, it was just like a, it was just like a mess. Like the worst thing that could happen. Yeah. It was just awful. And then, so my, you know, my parents came to the rescue and scooped up literally scooped up my boyfriend and shoved him in the car and mm-hmm. I'm in the car with my brother and my mom and my dad are arguing but they hated my boyfriend at the time um so it didn't help that didn't help at all but they no. hated him and you know we were waiting for him to get picked up 
by his mom or something. And, um, you know, my parents had gotten into a terrible fight over me, Mm. over my boyfriend, Mm. over the whole situation about how my dad handled it, about how my mom handled it, about how they never really liked him in the first place, but you shouldn't let her date and all this other shit and whatever. And then that fight blew into we shouldn't be together we shouldn't be together and you're not my soulmate and i don't love you and all this other shit come to find out (laughs) years later that i found that that was an excuse because there was actually something going on but using myself and my boyfriend at the time as the kickstart almost or almost as the ignite the the ignition to begin this separation process from each other that's what they did because there was a huge fucking problem that was sitting underneath it but no one was talking about that i and i tell you i just found out that reason three years ago yeah like the whole reason of why my parents split up and this whole shit my dad and i'm crying and because i'm like because i'm married now you know and i fight with my husband and sometimes yeah, it's ridiculous. everyone does yeah and it sometimes gets nasty but I never, ever, ever start break down crying and I'm not, we're not going to be, you know, my soulmate. It never turns into that. So as an adult, now I'm thinking back at certain things that happened in my life. And it's just like, you rethink it and you can see it a lot differently because now I do know the deep rooted problem that was going on with my parents. And that this thing with my boyfriend and I at the time, yeah, it was a problem. It's a problem to end the whole fucking marriage, right? Yeah. And when you talk to my brother and I about that day, yeah, that day sucked. It was terrible. But my brother calls that day one of the worst days of his life because he dealt with mom and dad crying and they were yelling at him and it was his fault and all this shit. And I was just like, and I'm trying to listen to him. And I, and then even my dad said, I didn't talk to you that day. Like mom and I told you we were breaking up, but, but no one said anything else. So you were in your room, you were playing a video game. And, and I was like, yeah, I said, you weren't in the room with me when dad was talking to me. And he was like, yes, I was. And he started to get incredibly <laughs> angry. Yeah. Yeah. He started to get incredibly angry. And dad, and my dad was like, no, you weren't. You weren't in mm-hmm. that room. I, you know, I talk. I was talking to Kaya, and then my brother fucking lost it. And I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna stop it here because your truth is that that's how you felt that day. I mean, it didn't happen, but that's how you feel. So I'm not gonna sit here and argue with you about. Yeah, it's just not. It's but it's just it's um it's crazy how two kids can go through same childhood go the same day but they view it so incredibly different and then how it affects their adulthood I mean it still bothers my brother I don't give a fuck now my parents are actually divorced thank god but you know it took a long time but even to this day like my my brother you know even like finalizing my parents divorce like that still bothers my brother and I don't actually give a shit anymore <laughs> or, you see it as, or you see it as a positive like yes you oh, guys, it's great yeah you guys shouldn't be together please do this right yeah and I think you know that's interesting that he he like even though factually from what you guys are saying that didn't happen that way 
but it goes to show how traumatic it was for him. Yeah. For example, uh, traumatic events, we usually don't remember them accurately. Yeah. Or we like miss bits and pieces like throughout throughout what you're telling me, you're like, oh, I don't really remember. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, if you talk to people who've been through a traumatic event, like um, an assault or something, they're like, I don't remember. I remember his cologne. I remember what the ceiling looked like. I remember the, you know, stuff like that. But people don't remember the bits and pieces. And then there's so many people, for example, who remember 9-11. Uh, and they'll say, yeah, I was on 34th Street and I saw the smoke and it was crazy. Or And then we look back on the accounts and I remember seeing something that like, no, the wind was different and the wind and the wind took it to, to Staten Island and the wind took it to Long Island. Right. right? So, and so like people remember that. Right. And my little sister remembers like watching things on TV or like seeing things, but she was like four years old. <laughs> she doesn't remember that. Right. right. And uh, she remembers things wrong. And I, re- I remember my father coming home with like debris, but he didn't. Right. It's like, yeah. In- so like traumatic things, we like pull pieces to make sense of it and then create our own reality. Like I said, trauma warps our reality of things right it's it's really interesting what the brain does sometimes it's to protect us but it does the opposite it makes it worse yeah yeah no for sure that's I mean it's again I've never I mean I've never actually talked to a professional about it before but it's it's incredible I mean you're totally right how you know memory is all about what you make it right because you can remember things completely accurately but like you said it can be completely warped and it can be so different and And I think even now, like, you know, even now, like I'm someone who I believe in tough love and, you know, being someone that has had to grow up mentally very young, I don't like, I I would say, like, I would say I'm like a sensitive ish person, like when it comes to my husband and my son, but that's pretty much it. Or like a good movie, but that's pretty much it. I don't, I, I don't really you know, I don't really take a lot of things to heart. I don't let other people bother me. I don't, I don't quite frankly, I just, I feel like I don't have time for it. Whereas mm-hmm. my brother is like a sponge. My brother is someone who, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, if you're sitting in the kitchen, you're talking to your family, everyone's talking over each other and it's a whole conversation. You're having three conversations at one time and everyone's interrupting each other. If you interrupt mm-hmm. my brother, he will literally break down. He just cannot do it. Like, it's like he, he, like, and he'll just completely like, he'll, he'll turn into like a little hermit crab and go right back into his shell. He he, takes it like like, a really personal offense. Yeah. Like he really, and he is someone who internalizes everything and he's someone who is so sensitive. I mean, so incredibly sensitive. I just, I, I kind of sometimes, it kind of just blows my mind sometimes how polar opposite I feel like we are. um and how his her his perspective is so different from mine or his experiences is so different from mine it's the same household and I just it's it's so incredible that 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 is the way that it is so I refrain from talking to my brother about certain things that happen because it's just you know I I just you know and he you know when he was going to therapy he tried to um he tackled a lot of it. Um, I think, um, but 
interestingly enough, my brother is someone who will use that. Like the doctor said, the the he he likes to say that he's clinically depressed. Your brother says that, or the doctor says that. My brother said. My brother says that he's clinically depressed. Okay. And he will swear up and down that his doctor said that he's clinically depressed. The, mm-hmm. the, the therapist that spoke to him. And my mother will say, no, no, no. I spoke to him. He says you have a difficult, he says you have a difficult time coping with things. You are not clinically depressed. And my brother will just run with it. Like he just, he's like, I don't care what you said. I'm clinically depressed and all this shit. And so what he'll do is like, and even like he has a lot of deep rooted issues with my mom and he'll say, well, you know, when I went to therapy, that's what the therapist said. So it is what it is. And I'm like, okay, well, are you going to try to work through that? Or are you just going to continue to just say that that's what, because the licensed professional told you that that's the problem. Are you going to try to work through it? Or are you just going to keep saying it? Like what, what's the point of you? I, I get it. You have a problem with mom. He's just like, 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 yeah, like, but he, he won't, he won't do that. And he'll just kind of like give the excuse that is what it is because someone told me that that is what it is. And he'll just leave it. Mm. He won't talk about it. He won't, you know, he won't do anything to, to fix it. Whereas me, I've never talked to anyone except for that one fucking idiot guy, but I've never talked to anyone. And I know that there's so many things I have to do mm-hmm. and work through. And, you know, I do it one day at a time, but, you know, and it's just incredible how polar opposite two people can be and yeah. grow up in the same house. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that kind of sometimes comes down to like the Latino structure of how we socialize our children. Um, I don't have any brothers. But I know that how I was raised as the oldest is completely different from my youngest, right? That isn't to say that I had it easiest, Mm -hmm. but the responsibilities were really different. The expectations were really different. And our culture is a huge, um, I'm talking about like the Latino culture is very different from like the white dominant culture over here. So like over here, I think the idea as white parents is that if we're, we're fighting, our kids don't know about it. Mm. We're getting a divorce. The kids don't know until we sit them down Mm. or they shouldn't know, right? We shouldn't be screaming and beefing in front of our kids. My child is my child. My child is not my friend. Right. And I think it's like, um, millennial Latinas were kind of like no I don't want to tell my seven-year-old about my marital problems if I'm having marital problems right you know uh or and and I think that's good (laughs) like telling our children any of our adult problems because they can't help you what advice does a child have to give right and what that does is create this intense insecurity not like with yourself but with your caregivers we're yeah. born into this world completely innocent, completely dependent on these people. And if they're, if they can't hold it down and they're breaking down in front of me, what the hell does that mean for me? Yeah. Right? Like, why are you crying? What the hell am I supposed to do about it? Like, I'm just trying to figure out algebra and shit. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm just trying to survive. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you don't know, why are you asking me? Yeah. 
Um, so it creates this intense insecurity, right? And that role of like the bestie is usually the oldest daughter. Yeah. And if you have an oldest son and then you have a daughter, we skip him. We don't do that with him. We do that with her. Right. Yeah. That's not his job. Right. He's not the emotional support child. <laughs> the yeah. daughter always is, right? So you had to be more resilient. You not only probably had to think about your feelings, but everybody else's feelings. Mm-hmm. Whereas our sons usually have the privilege of focusing on themselves. Mm. And it's interesting that you say that because I've come to a point in my life a couple of years ago where I decided to stop doing that. I decided to stop putting so much emphasis on how everybody else was doing and feeling. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, now my family calls me super cold, that I'm incredibly cold. And I'm like, you're, my not, friends, you're not fulfilling your role anymore. Right. And, but my friends don't think I'm cold. My friends, not at all, don't think I'm cold. My husband doesn't think I'm cold, but like people in my family will say, no, you're cold as fuck. Or like, you know, you're, you're tough love or you're kind of a bitch and all this stuff. And I'm just like, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause I'm not. I'm not going to change that, but it's interesting that, that, I mean, it's, it's a hundred percent true. Um, literally everything you just said, it's, it's so crazy Mm because it's, you know, it is, we are, we are the emotional support person for the entire family, almost like a matriarch for the whole family and, you know, to keep the glue and, and to, of of the family and, you know, mm-hmm. protect our siblings and take care of our parents and yeah. offer that crazy, like emotional support, uh, you know, and kind of hold it down, you yeah. know, because... but still treated like a child. Right. right? Like you, you're a grown ass woman. I'm a grown ass woman, married house, you know, you have your kid, but they will still tell you what to do mm-hmm. and expect you to listen. Right. Um, it's, it's really interesting, right? Like not none of the benefits. And then getting to the point, if we go to the matriarch where we supersede the parent, right? Like with my parents, uh, and we have an excellent relationship and I don't want to also demonize the Latino family structure, right? Because that isn't to say that the white American way is the best way. It has a lot of cons, you know, uh, like for example, um, that one that like super sheltering also doesn't help Mm. because when the kids are 14 years old and their parents have appeared to be super stable and everything's chill and everything's great and then boom we're getting divorced they're they're completely blindsided they did not see it coming no stability right so which one's better i don't have an answer right can we be somewhere in the middle but like with my parents now because they still don't feel like 100% comfortable in this country. They came here as adults. Now I am like the de facto person. Mm. Can you help your little sister with her college stuff? Mm. Can you do this? What is a 401k? What is that? Can you help me find a flight? Can you do the, like all these things where that suddenly they used to tell you what to do and now they're asking you, what should I do for everything? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That transition is, it is interesting. And when, when my parents, you know, and my parents and I have a great relationship now and, 
you know, um, cause a lot of those boundaries have been put up with my parents, but when they were going through their divorce, I would get calls every single day. And, you know, I didn't mind it because it was a role that I had played for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then I got pregnant and I said, you have nine months left. Get it out of your system because I'm done. You don't have the mental bandwidth to do all of You can't. And I said, because if I'm out here helping you and I'm not focusing on my, I really don't, fo- I already don't focus on myself enough because I'm out trying to be the superhero for everybody. And when I got pregnant, I was like, I have one person to be superhero for. That's my son. So you have about nine months to continue this because after that, we're done. Mm-hmm. No more. Mm-hmm. I don't have the time. I'm not going to have the energy. And I quite frankly don't want to anymore because if I'm not putting, if I'm giving you all of my time and attention, then my son is lacking. I'm not doing that. Yes, he is your priority, not them. Yeah. And so that had to be made very clear. And I mean, with everybody, it was everybody. I was just like, now I'm letting y'all know. Mm-hmm. Don't be surprised. And you're like, why is Kaya not having? I just had a baby. Like, you better leave me alone because, you know, but yeah, I had to make that really, really known. And I, you know, and I think that shit even I'm honestly this feels like a therapy session right now I should should send you a check um you know the 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 importance of you know dissecting what you go through as a child and unpacking everything you know I wanted to ask you if you felt if if people try to avoid that if people try to avoid talking about their trauma or talking about their past, do you think that that could lead into a form of PTSD as they get older or as they continue on with their life because they have been avoiding understanding their triggers or avoiding talking about the problem? And it's really just the whole notion of just avoidance of everything. Can can that trickle into PTSD and they not even know it? Yeah, definitely. Right. Because PTSD is a trigger activating like an intense stress response could be like um, like a panic attack, avoidance, hypervigilance, all these things, right? Um, and I think that happens to people all the time, mm-hmm. right? When it comes to, I'm trying to think of like one of my patients, and like how to summarize their symptoms and stuff. But they had grown up in a really abusive home environment, not necessarily towards themselves, but to like their parents, right? It was like physical abuse and like drug abuse and stuff. And um, that made them like really hypervigilant of men, mm-hmm. understandably so, mm-hmm. right? Um, not trusting of men um wanting romantic relationships because you know some people don't want a romantic relationships that's totally fine but wanting romantic relationships but petrified of men and when men would approach her just like shutting down you know not necessarily running away but like nope this person cannot be trusted all men are the same and leading a really isolating life 
to the point where she didn't want to work with men, um, which how hard is that to avoid, right? Um, and just like having that completely dominate their life. And it took like a year to even for her to even acknowledge that those two things were related. Wow. People will divulge things when they see fit. I've had patients for two years and then like they they tell me something crazy. Oh, wow. Like two years in. Wow. That we would think that they would bring up much sooner, but they're just not ready for it. Yeah. Right. Wow. I mean, yeah, because I mean, it has to be a lot to even unpack that stuff. And like, so in all of your patients that you talk to, like what, if you, if you have one, um, what would be, and without giving too much detail, of course, Mm -hmm. what would be one of your like proudest breakthroughs be with one of your patients? Like where, if you were just, you know, working with this person and they had a breakthrough and like just filled you with like pride because they you know making you know incredible progress or whatever like or or even like what would be just like your proudest moment being someone that helps other people as their day-to-day job like what's your proudest moment in your career yeah I think some days it feels like I'm doing nothing (laughs) and some and then like certain things will go so like I have a couple uh that I've been working with and this week they were like oh thanks to you like our relationship is so much better and they went on vacation together like things like that like and and knowing that like you know maybe if they do get married in the future or move forward or have children that the work we did together was the catalyst to creating a family things like that right but um, one of my patients now, she is super motivated and is doing the work, right? Because I can sit here and talk and help you process things. But if you just like leave and nothing happens, then life is going to be the same, right? But she came to me in like November, but she's a healthcare worker and uh, she was in a really abusive domestic violence relationship. It was like one of the scariest, right? that I worked with and um she got away and she used very little money that she had saved up and went to a hotel and started like um working elsewhere saved up her money and she has saved up enough money to buy a house she has secured a new uh a new job is analyzing all of her things she grew up with a really narcissistic emotionally abusive mother Mm really groomed her to be the perfect prey for domestic violence right because you don't have to grow up with domestic violence to have domestic violence right right? you just have to sometimes be groomed for it right so if somebody's always telling you like your feelings don't matter I am the sun and the moon you are here to serve me um then yeah you're going to feel like it's completely normal when a man does that to you as well and it was a very dangerous relationship she had gotten her arm broken her leg broken she was getting choked regularly he pushed her down an escalator in a mall in front of a bunch of people like crazy shit and it just got to the point where she was like I'm gonna die like I'm gonna be on the news oh my god ran away with her car with no support 
Wow. Obviously her family isn't going to be supportive and she did it on her own, right? Oh that's like one of the proudest, right? Because I feel like I was a part of saving someone's life. She did the work, right? I'm just a tool. We talk for an hour a week and you implement what we talk about. But that is probably one of my most recent proud moments, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, God bless her. Jesus. Yeah. And that's from November, like the decade, right? That's like six, seven months that she's just like crushing it. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. That has to feel so like soul reviving every time you, you know, you know, hear your patients do so well. And I mean, yeah, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of courage, but that's, that's incredible. Wow. Mm-hmm. God bless her. Yeah. I mean, and it's just, um, and I'm sure it just like reminds you how important and valued you are like, mm-hmm. you know, every day. And, and that's, that's so amazing. Wow. Yeah. I got chills when you told me. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Thank you. So sweet. Yeah. No, but yeah, it's really rewarding. And then some days it feels like we're not advancing or when people regress, right. But everybody has their own process. Yeah. Right? No, yeah, for sure. And it just takes, you know, everyone has, like you said, everyone has their own process. Everyone has their own timeline, but it, you know, like your work is so vital to so many people's lives. And I just think that people in this industry, they can either make or break a person or they can like you save someone's life. So it's just so incredibly important. And I just really hope that this conversation teaches people that therapy is so incredibly important and needed and you know and it's just it's so needed especially in our community especially in everyone's life right now the way that the world is going it's just so important you know and I mean even just everything that we talked about in this hour and 16 minutes I mean it's so freaking eye-opening for me mm-hmm. you know um even now just thinking about my past and I know so many people listening like they can probably relate to so many things that were talked about and I mean shit you helped me so <laughs> <laughs> I feel great <laughs> um you know so I just thank you so much for coming on to the show and you know, sharing your insight and your expertise on, you know, dealing with trauma, how to deal with trauma, recognizing it. And like, you know, all the things that we can do to, to just make ourselves better and going to, you know, therapy, especially someone who genuinely wants to help people and wants to be there for people. Um, Cause all you want to do is provide good. You know, there are some, like we talked about earlier, who just provide harm and do no good at all I mean, honestly, okay. fucking probably detrimental to the person um but um but yeah and I just I thank you so much this conversation was fantastic and I just um I know like just this hour and 15 minutes just helped so many people and I I thank you so much for being on the show I really 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 appreciate it no problem hon. it was great talking to you it was so nice to talk to you, honey. And mm-hmm. uh, keep following you on Instagram and we'll chit chat even more there. And yeah. who knows, mm-hmm. we'll get a part two and we'll talk again. Yeah.
Yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay, honey. All right. Thank Bye. you so much. Bye, honey. Tune in next week for an episode all about goals and how to actually achieve them.